0: Hey,
1: folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Dixie De La
0: Tour. Wear that dress, bring your Bible. I want you to read aloud from it while I go down on you. You stop reading, I stop eating. <laughs>
1: That and more, but before that, I just want to give a shout out to some of our latest Patreon members. We always give a shout out to anyone who is donating twenty five dollars or more per month. So I want to give a shout out to Epilonius, Lisa Sardinia, Julia Nash, Marie Rocha or Roca, and Franny Bromley. Oh my goodness, thank you all so, so, so very much. It really is helping us profoundly in this time. You know, it's a tough time. It's a tough squeeze for us because advertising has really tightened its belt. You know, there's less workshops happening in the story studio realm, corporate people seem especially shy about it right now. We lost our live shows that we do in theaters. And, um, so it's a major, major transitional time for us. And we're trying to assess how. You know, we might have to tighten some things up ourselves, but we are so, so dead set and determined to keep this thing going. We feel that it is more important than ever right now for people to be connecting with one another, for people to be hearing human stories, for people to be hearing stories about trials and tribulations that people transcended. I find that when we do these risk live streams, they are always the highlight of the week. They leave me feeling so much more uh, part of the human family. And that's our goal here at risk is to really help bring people together and get people Speaking as meaningfully and as transparently, as openly as possible to give everyone a, a really solid reminder of what really matters, what we really value and believe in and what we really feel in our lives. There's 20 people who work on this effort to do all the little things and big things that need to be done to make all this work (laughs) risk and the story studio. And so uh, it, We're spread thin, (laughs) but we have not lost heart or hope, and we have been putting out spectacular content all throughout 2020. The podcast has really stepped up and been delivering fantastic episodes, fantastic live streams, and it's really the heart and soul of it all is that so many of you do believe in it. So thank you so much for supporting us at Patreon. It really is helping us to keep going. If you do believe and love in what we do and you're not over there, then get on over there. And if you are over there and you have an opportunity to maybe turn up what you're donating, that would be fabulous too. We have bonus stories every week. We have uh, check-ins and interviews and the ad-free versions of the podcast. There's lots to get over there at patreon.com slash risk on top of knowing that you're really helping this work of art, this important contribution to the cultural dialogue continue to happen.
2: Let TEND Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, TEND is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes.
1: Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Be Shakedown behind me now. Oh, my gosh. This week, we're going to do something that is so fun. It's it, We're going to run almost in its entirety one of our live stream shows here. We have been having, I, I, I just, I can't express it. How wonderful these live streams have been. You show up, you you go to risk show.com slash tour and you get yourself a ticket, and then you can watch on your computer. It's via a Zoom. Zoom technology, myself presenting four different storytellers, presenting a risk show live happening right then. And you can, in the little chat room, you can be reacting, you can, you know, JC is there, we do a QA and a after the show. These things are so goddamn fun and so moving for this episode we decided to focus mostly on f- on a fun one this one has an outstanding cast of dixie de la tour jude trader wolf and will attenborough just a knockout lineup now for the next one we're experimenting in yet another way we're gonna make it a pay what you wish show you can pay nothing or you can pay a lot if you want Either way, do not miss this next one. It is May 23rd. That's Saturday, May 23rd at 8 p.m. Eastern. Another incredible cast. William Mullen will be returning to the show. Gigi Lee will be back. Katie Featherston will be back. And Ophira Eisenberg will be back. A bunch of heavy hitters once again Saturday, May 23rd at 8 p.m. Eastern. Get your tickets at risk-show.com tour. This one was recorded a few weeks back. We loved the stories so much that we thought it would be fun to run it as an episode, even though some of the audio, especially in the first half, is, you know, not as great as it could be. But you can certainly hear everything you need to hear in this episode. You can't hear the whole audience. I mean, there are hundreds of people that come to these live streams, but you can hear the other storytellers reacting to the story we keep experimenting for example this live stream you're about to hear we timed it for europe so that you know people who listen to the show over in london berlin wherever else could be tuning in so we've been experimenting with different times to do these Keep up, follow us on all the socials at risk show, or you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Kevin Allison to find out the latest about when our next live streams are because you don't want to miss them. Oh, and one last thing this week, we are also putting the visual version of this live stream on YouTube for anyone to be able to see. If you just go to our risk show, channel on YouTube you can see all of this that you're about to hear here so let's get to it now this whole live stream started with me telling a little story that I call 62 rim jobs I thought I would start us off with this ridiculous story of mine about something that happened to me almost precisely 10 years ago. It was just a couple of weeks ago, 10 years ago, that a friend got in contact with me and he said, oh my
3: gosh, Kevin,
1: I've got a new job working for the Guinness Book of World Records. Would you like to come on to our show? We're going to do a live show, and we're going to see if some of the performers could actually do something within the five or ten minutes we allow them to be on stage that could be a world record. We're gonna have actual, like, committee members from the Guinness Book of World Records sitting there on stage to judge whether or not some of these might be legit records. So can you think of something that you could do on stage that, you know, maybe no one's ever done before? <laughs> so, long and hard about it. And then I remembered that when I was 30, I had this therapist, and I talked about her on a recent live stream. She was a big part of my life because she fucked me up in so many ways, so there's lots of stories about her. Her name was Agatha, and she was a very goth sort of woman. But what I didn't realize when I first started seeing this therapist was that she was pretty sex negative. You know, that's a problem for me because I am a gay, kinky, polyamorous pervert, not such a great match for someone who's a little (coughs) uptight about sexuality. So it was about a month into seeing Agatha every week when she said to me, you know, Kevin, I think we're going to have to address the fact that you are obviously a little bit too fixated on the anus. And so what I would like you to do is to go home and get out a notebook and do not allow the pen to stop writing on the page. I want you to write and write and write continuously, coming up with at least 300 metaphors for the anus. And see what that does to you psychologically. Well, I was thrilled with this assignment. I went home, I got out a notebook, I was ready, I was like, I'm just gonna write and write and write and not let the pen leave the page until I have come up with at least 300 metaphors for the anus. And it was such a turn-on. It was such a rush. I came up with this amazing, like, Walt Whitman-esque poem, just celebrating in so many ways my favorite thing. But I have to admit, toward the end of making the list, I started to cheat a little bit. I switched, because I was kind of running out of ideas for metaphors for the anus, I kind of switched to my favorite thing to do to an anus. I switched to the activity that I think of when I think of anuses, and that is rim jobs. So... The end of the list was actually 62 metaphors, euphemisms for rim jobs, right? So when my friend from the Guinness Book of World Records approached me and said, What could you do on stage in about 10 minutes that, you know, probably no one else could do? I was like, I can read off 62 metaphors for rim jobs. Who's done that before? I don't think anyone has. Well, when I first got up on that stage, there were those like five committee members from the Guinness Book of World Records, and I announced what I was gonna do,
3: and they went a little bit
1: pale. I will tell you, they looked a little bit concerned about what was about to happen. It certainly wasn't, I think, in the realm of your typical Guinness Book of World Records sort of feat. But there was nothing to be worried about because these metaphors were so delightful. In fact, so delightful. I'm going to run through them for you now. Who out there would like to hear? Yay. 62 Newton yeah, Rimja. job. <laughs> I love them so much. Let's see. Let's start with this one. Number one, kissing the South mouth. I like that one because it's kind of genteel, you know? It's got kind of a southern charm to it, like like Blanche from the Golden Girls might call it that way. Number two, greasing the rusty wheel. Number three, mumbling to rosebud. <laughs> Number four, crunching on famous anus. It's a little bit of a stretch, you know, famous Amos still exists, the cookies, right? That's what I kind of had in mind there. Number five, sweeping the poop chute. Some of these start to get a little bit scatological, which is not necessarily, you know, a part of uh, the traditional rim job, but you know, every now and then, someone might want to go a little bit further with things. Uh, Six, the brown eye flush. Seven, biting the bung. I think that should be biting the bung hole, right? That, that might not make sense. A lot of these don't make any sense at all. Uh, eight, snacking on the mud shrimp. Yeah, that one starts to get downright, two girls, one cup. Um, nine, grazing on the goose hole. Why a goose hole? I don't know, you know, like, geese are pretty funny in general. <laughs> Ten, drooling on the dumplings. Not sure if that one makes sense. Oh, 11 is a good one. Garglin Arse. 12. Goblin the Gunwale. I don't know what a gunwale is, but I was reading Moby Dick at the time. 13. The Blowhole Slurpee. Again, clearly Moby Dick there. 14. Frenchin Lederriere. Perfect. Although I'm not sure if it should be la or le for the derriere there. Fifteen, going downstairs for breakfast. Sixteen, browning out. Seventeen, mushing the tush. Eighteen, moving to Brownsville. There's a lot of brown involved in these at this point. Nineteen, ass blow. Twenty muffin the bran pipe. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but it's got muffins and bran in it. Uh, Twenty-one oil in the coin slot. Twenty-two sphincter spritzin. Twenty-three buttering the cornhole. Twenty-four spitting in the bucket. Twenty-five lick the can. Do people still play uh, kick the can? I used to love that game when I was a kid. Uh, 26, tie in the balloon knot. Balloon knots, so anal, are they not? (laughs) 27, gluteal gorging. Uh, 28, ring around the kisser. 29, cheeks to cheeks. Perfect. 30, smothering in flesh pillows. 31, bottom feeding. Uh, 32, loosening the caboose. Not sure if that makes sense. 33, (laughs) making out on the back porch.
3: 34,
1: feasting. Uh, 35, moistening the bonbons. (laughs) As you have to do every now and then. 36, sewer chewing. Uh, 37, bridging the crevice. 38, chewing the bud. 39, noshing at the hindquarters. 40, bobbing the pimple. 41, bringing water to the moon. 42, glazing the ham. 43, watering the old dusty road. 44, basting round round. Oh, 45 is great. Lickety-split. There you go. 46, luncheon on the haunches. 47, partaking of the posterior. 49, hooving in the boom boom room. Now, the hooving means like a vacuum cleaner? I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, 49, eaten seat. 50, fits in the keister. 51, a gay down south in Dixie. <laughs> 52, sit and spin. 53, smooch and tush. 54, supper where the sun don't shine. 55, mud flat make out. 56, tongue juggling in the center ring. Tongue juggling in the center ring, my friends. A little circus analogy there. 57, up for the behind. 58, snack in the box. 59, glutton for punishment. (laughs) (laughs) 60, quenching the chocolate rose. Uh, 61, anal tasting. And 62, bum suckling. Oh my goodness, what an accomplishment it was to come up with (laughs) all of those wonderful euphemisms and metaphors. But let me tell you something. When I brought that list back to uh, (laughs) Agatha, my therapist, I was so excited, she said, How did it go? I said, well, here's the list. And she said, well, I don't really care about the list. How did it feel? And I said, well, it was exhilarating. I had so much fun. In fact, it, it, it really made me horny. I had to jerk off afterwards. And she said, oh, no, Kevin. I said, oh, no. She said, it was supposed to make you exhausted. It was supposed to make you, you know, tired of this this grotesque and infantile obsession of yours. (laughs) And I was like, well, I'll tell you something. It did not help me get over it. But that experience did help me get over Agatha because I got rid of her as a therapist not too long after. But I'll tell you something, as soon as I finished that list up there on stage for the Guinness Book of World Records, you're probably wondering, you know, did I win? Did I win? Am I in the Guinness Book of World Records now? I'm telling you, I could tell you, you know, you'll have to go out and buy the book, but I'm not going to tell you that because, of course, those motherfuckers didn't have the integrity and the honor and the taste to see what an achievement I had made there. So, It's not in the Guinness Book, but it's right here, right now, for you today. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness gracious. Folks, we have such a wonderful lineup tonight, and I am so excited to bring our first storyteller up to the virtual stage. Now, he is currently on BBC One on the show Our Girl. And he has, I think this is a film coming out, The Outpost coming out by Millennial Films with Orlando Bloom and Scott Eastwood. That is coming soon. He told such a wonderful, delightful story. The last time that Risk was physically in London. What a wonderful time that was.
4: Please welcome to the virtual stage, Will Edinburgh. Thank you so much. I, uh, I'll be honest, I was pretty nervous uh, about like, you know, sharing the content of my story and then uh, Kevin gave us 62 synonyms for rimming. And now I'm sort of like, well, <laughs> I mean, there's not much to lose at this point. <laughs> I, I, think I found the right room for this story. <laughs> um, okay, so my story is about locker rooms. I have a fantasy about locker rooms. Uh, I went to an all-boys, quite posh, private school here in London. Uh, We wore uniforms, we wore a tie, we played rugby. It was mostly horrifying. But, um, you know, the the fantasy of all those kind of rugby boys coming back to the, the locker room after sports and getting undressed and all that machismo and repression, like, melting into a massive orgy was, like, a fantastic idea. However. Obviously, that never actually took place at school. And when I did actually come out, I was 20 years old. I'd left high school. I was at university. And by this point, I was so scared. I'd internalized so much fear and anxiety that despite the fact I'd just come out, I was too afraid to actually have sex with another man oh. for a while, for like two years. And so I just continued uh, sleeping with women. Since I was very much at the time identifying as gay, and yet sleeping exclusively with girls, my friends pointed out that technically, well, that makes you a lesbian. (laughs)
3: Um,
4: And it was during this lesbian period that I would sort of, you know, I'd try to um, go to gay bars and I would find them too pressurized and intense. I'd, I'd go on dates with guys, but honestly, I would be sort of counting down the minutes until I could go home and kind of just put that to one side. And I think a lot of that is because, you know, I'd hidden this stuff since I was about 10 years old. And if any of those rugby boys had had known what I was thinking about doing with them, they would have kicked the crap out of me. (laughs) So, you know, like I'm 20 years old, I'm I'm lesbian. I am starting to get really, really worried that I'm never gonna break out of this. And the longer it doesn't happen for me with a guy, the bigger deal it becomes. And on a darker level, I start to feel like I'm a failure because the queer people that I knew at university were these like out proud personalities. They were really inspiring and very seemed very much to be authentically themselves. And I thought, why aren't I like that? Like, why can't I be more comfortable, more proud? Why am I so ashamed? I felt ashamed of having shame. I kind of thought that the way to deal with this is to do like a queer version of manning up, to kind of do like a gay up, like kind of like be a gay. And I made a decision one evening that I was just gonna go not to hundred and just kind of like break my way out of it by going to a gay bathhouse. <laughs> and I remember having this kind of peculiar calm, this kind of serene confidence in making that choice. I think I was, I was pretty drunk as well, but I, I, but I remember feeling like, I don't uh, feel pressured to, uh, to do this. I want to do it. And bathhouses for—if there's anyone out there who's uninitiated, although presumably in this audience you're all down there regularly—but um, <laughs> if there anyone, if anyone out there has not been to a gay sauna, or a gay bathhouse, they are—they're uh, fascinating places. They're kind of um, halfway between a gym and a nightclub, I would say. They kind of tend to be. Um, Comprised of darkly lit corridors that lead off to various gyms and showers and steam rooms and saunas and sex rooms, and they're known as like a place you could go if you wanted to hook up with a stranger. And so that is, that's where I go. I find online there's a a, a gay sauna in Soho here in London. I had fantasies about these places. I mean, obviously, I'm I'm the locker room guy. I sort of looked them up online, and there's pictures of like these overly muscled men who are kind of hanging out in these saunas, and they look like they're having a fantastic time. And so quite excitedly, I get on the tube, and I go down to the sauna. But when I get outside, my confidence falters. I feel increasingly apprehensive. I'm stood in this like alleyway that stinks of piss a little bit, and I'm looking at this kind of red metallic door out of which every now and then emerges a kind of, flush looking sweaty man who looks a little bit sheepish and it's not quite as enticing as i had hoped but i i I screw up my courage and i open that door and i remember this feeling of unreality as i'm doing it like it's almost like when you see someone who's quite famous in the flesh and you're like this is really this is real this is happening and i'm doing it i'm here i open this door i greet this very sweet guy who's like you know, working on the desk, and it turns out they are doing a student deal that night, which was great for me. So I get a cheaper ticket. I'm sent down to the changing room. The changing room is brilliant, not for a sexual reason, but brilliant because the changing room is like the last bastion of British politeness where just for this one final moment, everyone is just pretending that it's like, it's another day, and they're just, you know, they're gonna fold up their trousers and put their shirt away, and then we'll probably all go and have sex. But it's just sort of like, after you, you know, please, please. (laughs) Incredibly endearing. I'm very um, guarded though. I I get undressed, Uh, I put my clothes in this like little red metallic locker, and I've been given this little towel that I wrap around myself. And there's nothing else to do, (laughs) but enter the belly of the bathhouse. (laughs) I'm very nervous. I'm hit by this sort of, um, this thick smell of chlorine and sweat, and it feels kind of swampy and moist underfoot. The first thing I observe is this really peculiar phenomenon that I've only ever seen in like the few London bathhouses that I've been to. But it's this thing where like, everyone there is sort of walking around a bit quickly and kind of looking around <laughs> looking around them as they go and i couldn't figure out what it was at first but then i realized like the bathhouse is like this wordless environment at least in england because we're so ashamed but no one really talks to each other so all the sexual liaisons kind of run off eye contact and if you hold it for long enough with someone that means like okay like this is on so you want to have the balance between Scoping out what's it, like who's available, but without starting something that you don't mean to start. So everyone's just sort of like having a little, <laughs> like a little commute around the <laughs> around the sauna, and I find myself like kind of joining the thoroughfare. And so I'm doing this little quick walk, despite the fact that there's this kind of surreal introduction. What I like about it, what I feel comforted by, is that it is a purely gay space. It's just gay men, and that is. That's safe. There's something safe about that. And also, none of them know me. So I don't have to be the like, you know, 12 year old at the old boys' school. I can be free. And I eventually find what looks to be the smallest like room in the bathhouse. It's this little sauna that just has one guy in it sat at the far end. I feel his eyes on me as I walk in. And I sit down on that kind of hot bench. He's older, he's probably like mid to late thirties. He's bald. And though I'm really frightened, my heart is just like pumping away. I'm very exhilarated that I'm kind of this close. (laughs) And by way of invitation to this unnamed man, I decide to just lean back and open my towel. And I sense him get up, come over to me. We look at each other, he smiles and we start, you know, <laughs> we, start, we start hooking up with each other. And I was like, oh my God, it, it's happening. It's, oh my, this is actually, ha- it's finally happening. Like not, I, not out loud, this is all an internal monologue, but I couldn't believe that I was finally breaking this kind of, elusive experience and it wasn't amazing i mean you know i don't even i didn't even know his name we hadn't spoken but it was just it was sort of such a relief that it was that i was finally doing it And after about five minutes of us i guess like going down on each other i start to sense that there are other guys who've like come into this room and they're all standing around and i think they're kind of watching us and then a couple of these guys like start touching me <laughs> I start touching them and then there's like six seven guys and they're all joining in and it's fantastic. <laughs> and I'm just astonished that like the fantasy is here. It's in the world. Like I'm in the locker room. <laughs> 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 and uh when I have finished I afterwards I feel so liberated because it's like If that fantasy that I was convinced was going to get me, you know, lynched has actually existed safely in the real world, then maybe that little kid, you know, the 12 year old who is terrified as well, can come and exist in the real world as well. And though that is largely the kind of positive note I left the bathhouse on, there's one thing that I notice before I go. And that is that when you're in, the kind of like sauna, steam room, sexy area. Everyone looks very much the same. Everyone's just got the same little towel wrapped around them. Nobody has anything on that really distinguishes them or identifies them in any way. So everyone kind of becomes just this body that's moving around in the darkness. And that is part of what's so freeing about it. But then you go back into the changing room and you see these guys put their clothes back on and you start to see them with all the little signals that they give out day to day. Like, oh, wow, he he likes those kind of shoes. Or like that guy has a little satchel. I wonder if he's a student or something. And there's an older guy who's sort of got a smart button up shirt and maybe he's come straight from work before he goes home. And I wonder what home means for him. And there's this whole kind of variety there. And some guys wear like, white fronts or, or uh, tighty-whities as you guys call them in the States, <laughs> like little white briefs and they suddenly look so boyish and sort of childlike and I can see that they are vulnerable and embarrassed and, and probably ashamed in the same ways that I am and though it was such a like freeing exploration to just dive in at the deep end like that, Ultimately, what I really want is to meet that guy who's got the satchel and the wife runs and to have something connected and real with that person. And I'm 28 now, and if I'm being completely honest, I haven't, I just, I haven't had that yet. But I think doing enough of this, <laughs> I know I am going to get there.
3: Aww.
4: Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, everyone i <laughs>
1: This is Risk, this is John Kale and Brian Eno behind me now, and we just heard from Will Attenborough. Now, like I was saying before, the next one of these, the next Risk live stream, which you can be there to see, you know, uh, only Patreon members get to see the recordings of these after the fact we just thought it would be a treat to feature one of them here on the audio podcast this time around and we put this one up on youtube as well so that anyone could see it but ordinarily you have to get a ticket and be there live to see it happening live and the next one is pay what you will pay whatever you wish for the risk live stream show happening on May 23rd at 8 pm eastern and the next live stream sort of event we'll be doing after that will not be a show it'll be something special it'll be uh, something a little different that we're still brainstorming on right now but the next live stream show is is May twenty third, eight p.m. Go to risk-show.com/tour to get your tickets. And remember, this time around, we're experimenting with pay what you wish for the show. Now, I can't even remember who it was. <laughs> I get so lost with all the emails and messages. But there was a Risk fan out there who wrote to me that I should check out the music of this guy named Cancion Franklin. And I have been. I've I've started to explore his music. If you look him up, Stone for Stone is a recent album of his. Another recent album is Back to Texas. The name is Cancion Franklin. And I'll tell you something. It's important to try to support these artists if you can, especially these independent sorts of artists. Look for their Instagrams. Canción Franklin has one there. And look for ways that you can, you know, throw a little help their way. Because a lot of artists are refiguring things out these days and having to adapt to a changing world. One way you can look me up is on Cameo. If you go to cameo.com slash Allison, I can make a personalized video message for you or for a friend or family member of yours. It's so fun. I, <laughs> I make these ridiculous and sometimes super sincere. Sometimes I tell a little story. Sometimes I sing a little song, you know, whatever it might be. I love making these little personalized videos for people. So look me up at cameo.com slash the Kevin Allison.
2: This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So...
1: now let's get back to the live stream episode here our next storyteller has been on risk many times she's done live shows and radio style stories jude trader wolf who you can find at judetrader-wolf.com she is the host of the show mostly true things based in long island uh, here she is now. It's Jude Trader-Wolf with a story we call So Many Roads.
5: Thank you. Oh, my gosh. It's very exciting to... uh tell a story that as a therapist, I don't tell very many people, but now I'm just going to tell everybody. So I am standing in the waiting area of my therapist's office and she's running a little bit late, which isn't unusual for her. And I don't usually mind it. So I wouldn't usually feel impatient, but I'm on these fertility hormones that have all of my emotions heightened dramatically. So I feel kind of wildly agitated. These hormones make my body release extra eggs so that I can be harvested, you know, like mother goose for for in vitro fertilization. And they make all of my emotions over the top. And I don't actually have very much control over them, especially anything remotely pregnancy related. Like if I see uh, a Toys R Us or a Baby Dill, because it looks like a fetus. And I love Danielle. She's helped me for four years as I've been navigating this process. I have what's called unexplained infertility, but it's actually inexplicable. I come from a family of eight kids. My mother had 11 pregnancies. I have 42 first cousins. I was an aunt in third grade. Every vision I have of myself as an adult is a mother of three. I don't know if I'm gonna get married ever in the past, but I always knew I would be a mother of three. And I would organize my entire professional life so that I could control my hours and my husband and I can hand off childcare. Everything is in place. To raise a family except the actual family so there's a lot i have to talk to danielle about and here at age 39 at this point they talk about my uterus like it belongs in a museum that's not easy to take either. So Danielle opens the door. I walk in. I'm no longer annoyed with her because just looking at her, I feel that surge of love. She has this demeanor about her that I, that, that's so calming. First, she has these brown eyes that are dripping with empathy. She's a combination of style and substance with Jennifer Aniston from Friends kind of hair. And she has this way of talking like an earth mother She's sort of like the lab technician that's giving you the results and everything is going to be fine. That's the way she talks all the time. And I say, finally, after four years and all these doctors and all these tests, I have an actual diagnosis for my condition. My body is allergic to sperm. Yes, I paralyze sperm. My body actually tries to kill. I'm a sperm killer. That's what I'm trying to say. And Danielle leans back and she says... how do you feel about that? And I say, I feel hopeful. Finally, with a diagnosis, now they can actually treat it instead of just throwing everything at me because they don't know what else to do. She gets very quiet. And she says, you know, I'm a specialist in this. And I have to tell you that women with this condition have about a 7% chance of ever achieving conception. And if you do conceive, your body's going to reject the pregnancy. And I say, oh, I see. I'm not even supposed to marinate in just a little bit of hope for a little while with you. And she says, of course you can have hope. I want you to have hope. But there are so many things you can do with your life. If this dream doesn't happen for you, there are so many things you can do with your life that you might not do if you did have children. And maybe it's time to talk about some of those roads you could go down. And my anger spikes from zero to 10 because I have all these emotional uh, agitation in me. And I say, oh, that's easy for you to say. You have four children. I bet you didn't even have any trouble getting pregnant. Great, great, great. And she says, I know you're angry, but you're really not angry with me. You're angry with this information. And I go, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm a sperm killer, but I'm not a killer of other people's dreams. And I walk out. I walk out of therapy, something I've never done before. And I get home and I fire Danielle over the phone. And then I call this therapist that I had been thinking about for a month or two that I had read about in New Age magazine, because in 1996, New Age magazine is a thing. There was a huge feature article about this woman named Brenda from Brooklyn Heights. She calls herself a mind-body specialist in fertility, and she claims a 96% success rate. I call Brenda. She talks the way a therapist you found in New Age magazine talks, exactly what you would imagine. Namaste. Thank you for welcoming me on your journey, this very painful and difficult journey that you're going through. I want you to know that I'm going to send you an intake form that I would like you to give me exhaustive details about your mother's pregnancies, about your pregnancies among all of your siblings and your father's family history and all of these questions, and then we will discuss it when you come in. I charge $250 an hour. Your first appointment must be two hours, and I don't take any insurance. I'll see you in two weeks. She's so zen, I'm in. She she sends me the intake form, I fill it out. There's questions I've never been asked before. I, I show up in Brooklyn Heights, it's two hours from my house and I get to her address and there's a big wrought iron fence that has two buzzers on it that I have to walk through. Then a labyrinthine shrubbery path to her front door. I get to the front door and I ring it and then I hear click, 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 five clicks. On her front door. And then I think, wow, she sounded so zen, but she seems awfully worried about security. I don't, I don't. Anyway, she opens the door, and there's Brenda. And she has streaming white hair like women who run with wolves. And she's wearing a Stevie Nicks would wear this on stage kind of diaphanous dress, many beads around her neck. All she really needs is a tambourine. She says, Namaste. Welcome welcome the higher power within me is going to work with the higher power within you and we're going to work through this difficult journey i've already read your intake and i i know exactly where to begin follow me and she floats down the this kind of labyrinthine hallway of her apartment i begin to think maybe she's not so relaxed as she is stoned i'm not sure but i'm here now i'm in when i follow her downstairs we go into this basement she sits down and she says i've read your intake Now, you shared that when your mother gave birth to your sister and you were three years old, that she was paralyzed for almost a year after that birth. Is that correct? And I say, yes, that is correct. And she says, do you see the parallel? She was paralyzed and you paralyzed the sperm. She was paralyzed. You paralyzed the sperm. This is where we're going to begin our work. And I think, okay, um, I don't even, I barely remember that. I was two and a half years old when it happened. And she says, remember the rage, remember the fear of your mother, everything you can remember. We're going to bring up those emotions and we're going to release those toxins today. And she goes into a closet and she takes out these bats that are made of styrofoam. They're about a yard long. They're orange with plastic handles. She goes to the other side of the room and she thwacks the futon with the bat and she says, I'm angry. That's what you have to say. I'm angry. I'm angry. This is not fair. This shouldn't have happened to me. Just practice. And I'm thinking, I don't feel angry about my mother being paralyzed. I barely remember it. Everything was fine after this happened. She never was paralyzed again. But If I have toxins in my body that I have to release through thwacking this futon, then I am going to do it because no one has ever made this connection before. So uh, Brenda goes to the other side of the room. I face the futon and I say, I'm angry. It's not fair. And I'm thwacking and I'm trying to feel it about my mother being paralyzed and I'm not feeling it. But then I, because, because of the hormones, I start thinking, I am angry. I, I'm, I'm angry about doing all this to my body now to try to get pregnant. I am angry. I, this isn't fair. This is expensive. This is something I don't want to have to be in. I'm angry, and I'm thwacking and thwacking and thwacking and thwacking this futon, and I start to get really heated up and sweating. I'm, I am angry, and I'm afraid. I'm angry, and I'm afraid. And then I feel suddenly very self-conscious, and I turn around and I, to, to, to get direction from Brenda, and this is Brenda. She is totally asleep. She is asleep. And, and so I've been screaming for so long that there's a little drool coming out the side of her mouth. She's, and, and I stop and I say, Brenda, Brenda, are you okay? And then she she just arouses herself from sleep and acts like it never happened. She says, oh, and then you were angry when you saw the wheelchair that your mother was. And I I think... She just acted like she didn't fall asleep, and I am now coming out of this trance that I was in, and I say to myself, I have to leave. I have to get out of here, and I say, Brenda, this, I think we've gone far enough. I have to go, and she says, you have to release these toxins. You have to release many more toxins. You've only begun. I say, no, no, no. I I have to go, and I don't want to pay her because I now think she's a fraud, but I pay her so that I can get out of that apartment because I cannot remember where the door is or how many locks are on that thing. And so I give her a check, and she leads me out. She's bemused and confused, but she's got her money. And I leave, and I'm on the Long Island Railroad on my way home, and I'm thinking, wow, I just paid $500 to a probably fake PhD therapist, uh, Stevie Nicks wearing hair running with wolves uh, woman who told me that the reason my body paralyzes sperm is because my mother was paralyzed. That is an act of desperation. I never saw myself undertaking. I don't think I can ever tell anyone about this except Danielle. I'd love to tell Danielle all about it. And Danielle takes my insurance, and I realize that this is the beginning of a whole new chapter in my life, and I do return to Danielle, and, and she's right. There are so many roads to go down in life. If you have to give up one dream, you have to give life to another one. And that's what I did. I never went for the in vitro fertilization. I stopped taking all the hormones. I began to embrace my life as a woman who has other roads to go down. And it's been a wonderful life since I stopped pursuing that. It's been good and filled up with creativity and and life. And I always had Danielle. When I looked at her, she gave me hope and she made me feel, everything's gonna be okay.
1: Jude Trader, whoa. Oh my gosh, always phenomenal. <laughs> Thank you. Someone pointed out that this is, uh, there's a lot of therapy happening in the show <laughs> today. I think a lot of us on the risk staff, are in therapy. I think a lot of people in the risk audience think of risk itself as a bit of therapy. I know that I always run my own stories by my therapist to like pick them apart before I tell them on the show. Uh, So quite a trip, quite a trip. I'm so thrilled about our next storyteller. And by the way, this is absolutely fabulous. Uh, Dixie De La Tour, who you know from Body Storytelling, and oh my gosh, Body is such a treat. We've done shows with Body before, and I've appeared on Body before, just always so much fun. She's been hosting Body, it predates Risk, actually, and is an award-winning podcast now as well. So, uh, without further ado, let us welcome to the virtual stage,
0: Dixie De La Tour. Hi, everybody. Boy, this is a dirty show, isn't it? There's been sperm and bathhouses and bungholes all over the place. Well, guess what? It's going to keep going that way. How do you have a first date with somebody That you've already fucked, but you've never actually met. (laughs) Let me back up. I went to this pitch dark sex party. And in the dark, I fucked a stranger. The only definable trait that he had was that he had this crazy thatch of coarse hair. I'm leaving the party, and as I'm walking out, I see the event producer standing by the front door. He looks kind of like a baby faced blue eyed, Billy Idol. And I see that bleach blonde hair that's erect. And I know. And he knows. We <laughs> fucked each other in the dark. <laughs> so, the next Monday, a few days later, he's the event producer. He sends me an email that Monday in early April. And he says, hey, uh, can I get your number? And I send it to him. And he says, we haven't actually met. My name is Sean. Sean. And I really had a good time with you the other day. And I was wondering if you'd want to go on a date. And I say, hell no, I don't want to go on a date. And he's like, why not? And I'm like, dates are forced. They're awkward. I'm not a fan of first dates. I prefer anonymous sex. And besides, how would that work? We've already fucked each other. Am I going to be expected to fuck you on the first date? I don't know how that works. Do you know how that works? That sounds awful to me. And I keep protesting. And eventually he says, look, I don't care if we fuck or we eat soup. I like you. Well, he said the magic word. He said soup because I love soup. (laughs) So we make a plan. That Saturday night, I am going to go to Max's Opera Cafe. I'm going to pick up a couple of quarts of matzo ball soup. I'm going to bring them over to his house. We're going to try it out, have soup, no pressure. And so I really don't want to admit to him I'm scared. The reason I don't like first dates is because it's so much like, what if you don't like me? I hate that feeling of kind of being judged, feeling like I'm not sure where this is going. It's just a lot of pressure. But I've agreed to it, and as the week goes on, the information that we're swapping, the texts in the chats, is getting really flirty. And at one point, I say, so, if we were to go there, what would you want me to wear that would, like, turn you on? And he says, well, I'm a big fan of, like, smutty, underneath, prim and proper. And I'm like, oh, so you want me to wear my garters and stockings underneath my vacation Bible school skirt? And he says, yeah, you have a vacation Bible school dress? Fuck yeah. Do you have a Bible? And I'm like, somewhere from my childhood. And he's like, great. Wear that dress. Bring your Bible. I want you to read aloud from it while I go down on you. You stop reading. I stop eating. Okay. Okay. I can do that. Saturday night, I put on my open bottom girdle. I put on my thigh-high stockings. I put on my black lace push-up bra. I put on my black and blue high-necked church lady dress. I head out to Max's. I grab a couple of quarts of matzo ball soup, and I head over to Sean's house. And I sit there in a car, getting ready to go in, and I'm having a panic attack. It's really easy to say you like somebody when you meet them in the dark, but we hadn't talked to each other. And we hadn't really seen each other, except on the way out the door. Wolfie didn't like me. But I grab the soup. I head to his front door. Take a big breath, knock on the front door. And the door swings open. And there stands Billy Idol, dressed head to toe like the Easter Bunny. Why are you dressed like that? (laughs) And he says, oh, later on tonight is Bunny Jam. It's this big Burning Man Easter thing. Hundreds of people that go into it. And my roommate just finished my Easter bunny suit. And I was trying it on before you got here. We had covered what I was going to wear. But we hadn't covered what he was going to wear. And now I'm on board. Because there's no way he knew that costumes were my thing. And I'm like, can you leave it on while we fuck? And he's like, yeah, as a matter of fact, she wanted to make sure I could pee while I was wearing it all night, so it's got a hole in the crotch. We can leave it on the whole time. So I follow him down the hall to his room, a little Easter parade all our own. We go into his bedroom and all there is in there is a desk, a single chair, and a futon on the floor. I sit on the chair I put the bag of soup on the table, (laughs) and the Easter Bunny stands in the door with his hands on his hips, and he says, did you bring your Bible? And I'm like, oh, yeah. I go in my purse. I grab my Bible. I have not seen this thing in a very long time. This was my childhood Bible. And so I had had to dust it off really good. He goes, get on the bed. So I kick off my shoes. I climb on the futon. I lay down. And he kneels in front of me. And very ceremoniously, he flips back my full church dress. And underneath, there's black lace garter belt, stockings, no panties. Gives me a big smile. I have done really good in the clothing department for him. And he gestures to the Bible and he goes, okay, let's go. I pick up the Bible. It's been decades since I've seen this Bible. And as he starts to go down on me, I flip open the Bible randomly and read the first thing I lay eyes on. And it says, Set a guard over your mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door to my lips. Says shit like that in the Bible? <laughs> that sounds kind of dirty. I'm going, wow. And the oral sex is really good. He's really going to town. And I'm kind of forgetting about continuing to read the Bible. I've read a a little bit. And then my arm's starting to lower lower back onto the bed. I'm getting into the oral sex. And all of a sudden, this Easter bunny pops up out of my vagina. And he gives me a quizzical look. And I go, oh, shit, right. I'm supposed to be reading out of the Bible. (laughs) So I go, flip to a new section, and I go, from the fruit of their lips... People are filled with good things, and the work of their hands brings them reward. With that, he starts munching on my clit, shoves a couple of fingers up in there, (laughs) and it is awesome. This guy knows what the hell he's doing. I'm having a really hard time concentrating. But as I start slowing down on the reading, because the oral sex is getting really good, I see that head pop up again. He's got that stern little Billy Idol face with those Easter bunny ears on. And he looks at me as if to say, you stop reading, I stop eating. So I flip it open to a new section. And this one says, the tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. (laughs) And he is loving this. And he is going to town and I'm getting really close to coming. I don't know if I can hold on too much more. And this reading is very distracting. So I dig in in a horny wrestler move. I kick my feet up. I put my feet on his shoulders. I throw the Bible across the room. I grab hold of those Easter bunny ears and I go, Eat my pussy, you fucking rabbit! And we are screaming at each other now. I'm coming on his face. I giggle when I come. He comes up out of my vagina. I say, let's go. Let's see that carrot. And he slides a condom onto his dick. And we go to town. He is fucking me hard. And I'm just like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Give me that. Fill my basket, Easter Bunny. Give it to me. And he's like, Oh yeah, you ready to repent your sins? Is that what's happening? And I'm like, oh yeah. Oh my God, your eggs are so much bigger than I thought they'd be. And he's like, oh yeah, God, you just baptized me with your juices, didn't you? And we're just being fucking ridiculous, screaming at the top of our lungs. And eventually, it's so good and I could tell he's about ready to come and I say, give me that cream filling. <laughs> and we come together laughing, and it is ridiculous, and he flops down on top of me, he is covered in my pussy juice, and sweat, and spooge, his brand new costume is ruined, (laughs) and he lays down next to me, and I go, wow, Christ on a cracker, that was good, and he says, soup? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot about soup and all the excitement. I forgot about the soup. I crawl over to the desk. I sit on the chair. I open the bag, and I pull out a quart of matzo ball soup for him and hand him a plastic spoon. It's still warm. My little Energizer bunny had been pretty fast. He starts digging in, and I start focusing on my soup, my childhood Bible right there beside me next on the desk. And he says, So what was all that protesting about? You didn't want to go on a date with me. And, you know, after you've screamed the contents of a Cadbury commercial in somebody's face while orgasming, (laughs) you can be pretty truthful with them. And I said, well, dates are hard because I really didn't know if you were going to like me or not. And he gives me a big smile with a mouthful of matzo ball. And he goes, oh, girl, I like you. You're weird. (laughs) So I get up. I fluff my dress back down, grab my Bible. He's got to head off to his party. And he leads me out to the front door, says goodbye. He's going to be covered with me at a party all night. And I love that idea. And as I walk back out to my car, I think, you know, maybe first dates aren't so bad after all.
3: (laughs) Thank <laughs> you. <Yay. Staffed. laughs>
1: That is all for this week's episode, folks. This is New Radicals behind me now. And we just heard, of course, from Dixie De La Tour. Now, if you've never heard Dixie's podcast, it's the Body Storytelling Podcast. You can find them at bodystorytelling.com. And if you've been wondering, will Risk and Body team up to do a show again? You bet. In fact, very soon. Very soon, Risk and Body will be doing a live stream show together. So... We need you to pitch us your stories at risk-show.com/submissions. If you have a story about a sexual situation, a kinky situation, a romantic desire gone wild, whatever it might be, something in that realm, pitch us at risk-show.com/tour, and you might be on the Body Slash Risk live stream show. The date has yet to be announced, but we do have a live stream show whose date we have announced, and that is the May 23rd Risk Online Live Stream Show. May 23rd, that's this coming Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern. It's a pay-what-you-wish show. You can pay as little or as much as you want. And we hope to see if that brings more people out. Listen, if you know anyone who's like, "Ah, I don't know, I mean, I guess I'd be curious, but I don't know. Well, tell them, hey, you can check it out and not even pay anything if you don't want because it's this special opportunity coming up on May 23rd, 8 p.m. Eastern, risk-show.com slash tour is where you get your tickets. Don't forget the truly spectacular opportunities that we have over at the storystudio.org. So many (laughs) of the storytellers you've heard on Risk met. In Story Studio classes, and the ones online are going absolutely wonderfully. You get to see and hear all the other students. You get to give feedback in real time. Your teachers are the very people who help coach people for the Risk Podcast, so it is really a something not to miss, something you definitely got to check out. Go on over to thestorystudio.org and look at all the things we offer. We also offer corporate workshops for staffs of businesses. We've worked for clients like Google and Pfizer and Citibank and American Express, a whole ton of wonderful workshops we've done for corporations. So go to thestorystudio.org, see what we have to offer over there. If you want one-on-one training with me, you can always find me at kevinallison.com. So, come check us out. Come get involved. Come get a little storytelling training as a creative way to improve your life. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk.
3: Health insurance with our fly-
1: Listen, if you know anyone who's like, Ah, I don't know, I mean, I guess I'd be curious, but I don't know. Well, tell them, hey, you can check it out and not even pay anything if you don't want. I don't know, I mean, I guess I'd be curious, but I don't know. Well, tell them, hey, you can check it out and not even pay anything if you don't want. I don't know, I mean, I guess I'd be curious, but I don't know. Well, tell them, hey, you can... Check it out, and not even pay anything if you don't want. I don't know. I mean, I guess I'd be curious, but I don't know. Well, tell them, hey, you can check it out and not even pay anything if you don't want. I don't know. I mean, I guess I'd be curious, but I don't know. Well, tell them, hey, you can check it out and not even pay anything if you don't want. I don't know. I mean, I guess I'd be curious, but I don't know. Well, tell them, hey, you can out, and not even pet anything if you don't want. I don't know, I mean, I guess I'd be curious, but I don't know. Well, don't pay. You can check it out, and not even pet anything if you don't want. I don't know, I mean, I guess I'd be curious, but I don't know. Well, don't pay. You can check it out, and not even pet anything if you don't want. I don't know, I mean, I guess I'd be curious, but I don't know. Risk-show.com slash tour is where you get your tickets.